Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. The sun is shining in Manchester right now, but there's still a bit of a cloud hanging over Old Trafford. Who will be the next permanent manager of Manchester United? Ralph Rangnick in post at the moment until the end of the season, but who takes the reins next term? Reports today suggest that Ajax boss Eric Tenag has been spoken to by the club as their managerial search continues. But is he the right choice? We'll get through that on today's show, as well as tackling the latest England squad, where injuries have forced Gareth Southgate to make some changes. And there are some fresh faces given a chance, as well as some familiar ones left out of the side. And finally, the relegation picture may still be undecided in the Premier League, but who could be the three teams promoted to the top flight from the Championship this season? We'll make our picks on today's episode of Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with a new show each and every day of the season. My name's Niall and alongside me in sunny Manchester today, Manchester City fan Matt Pidd. Morning, Matt. Yeah, it's not often called sunny Manchester. I know. Good morning. I'm making the most of it. And also with us in sunny Sunderland, I think, Ian Brennan. Morning, Ian. Absolutely bathing in the sunshine here on the the Wearside Riviera. It's uh, very nice this time of year. (laughs) Are the ice cream men out yet? The ice cream men are out every day. Like, you know, even if it's snowing. And literally, right, not even word of a lie, it was snowing and the ice cream man came. Got to make the money somehow. Just to warm us up a bit. I'm a southern guy and I always get stick from Marley because Marley's from Cumbria, which is pretty much as far north as you can get <laughs> alongside yourself being in the northeast. And he always says, oh, you complain about the weather in Manchester all the time. It rains. You know, it's not like the south coast is, is tropical. And it isn't, but I've noticed that when I have travelled north, and I mean further north than Manchester, on days like this when it's still only about 16 degrees, everyone still gets the shorts out. They just love it. Oh, yeah. It (laughs) goes above 10 degrees. Everyone's in a beer garden. Well, I've got to say, where where I live, because I live relatively near the coast, it's like about, I'm, I'm a mile away from the sea. I can see the sea. It's, it's a mile just down the road. Um, but because of the sea being where it is, literally, like, half a mile down the road, people can be having barbecues, you know, they've got the sombreros on, they're sweating their faces <laughs> off in the peak of summer, as is the rest of the UK, right? You go from Yorkshire or the northwest, and people are sweating their faces off. Oh, it's 30 degrees. Oh, barbecue, yo. I get here, right, sea fret. And it's foggy, and you come. Honestly, it's ten degrees cooler at my house than it is down the street. So uh, any any bit of sunshine is always welcome. Because usually, when it's hot and sunny, uh, I've got fog. Um, but hey, that's the price you pay living on the coast. Well, I was going to say fog on the Tyne, but it's more fog well, on the Weir, and we won't be yes. talking about Newcastle or Sunderland <laughs> and their football clubs, respectively. We'll be talking about that haze which has descended on Manchester United in the last few years. Of course, Ralph Rangnick is the current manager at Old Trafford. The German is in temporary charge or interim charge, whatever you want to call it, until the end of the season. And currently the club are searching for the replacement. At the moment it's Rangnick and he'll be uh, replaced in turn in the summer by someone else. Now, who will that someone else be? We've spoken about Maurizio Pochettino on this podcast. We've recently heard about the troubles at Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel's name has popped up. But now... Reports have come out today that Manchester United have spoken to the Ajax manager, Eric Tenag, who's also been linked for a while with this vacant Manchester United post. So I guess my first question, Ian, is this any real surprise? As I mentioned, he's been linked for a long time. It's not shocked many people this morning that United have spoken to the Ajax boss, Tenag. Well, no, and, uh, you know, he, even if... Uh... <laughs> 
If you're Man United, you, you've got to be doing your due diligence to, to find the best person for the job because you know the last thing they want is to make an appointment for somebody who's not right, um, hasn't got the credentials. You know, fans are on his back from the start, and you've got to say that Ten Hag has has got. Some credentials behind him, obviously, is um, got Ajax into the Champions League. Ajax currently doing very well in in, in their league in uh, in the Netherlands. But to be fair, Ajax usually do do pretty well. It's it's a, it's, it's a rare occasion where Ajax are not sort of a, at the top of, of their division or, or thereabouts. Um, and of course, he's got links with Rangnick. Um, Rangnick's going to be staying on as some sort of director of football kind of role, which is very much a model that works well in Europe. And so, therefore, Ten Hag is going to um, be familiar with this, and he's already said that he likes working under that model. Um, so, there's there's ticks in the box there, and as I say, they know each other already. Um, he's successful. Probably going to continue some of the work that uh, Ranić's done so far, because last thing you want is somebody that's going to come in and. Um, play a completely different style of football or a different style of running the club and 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 all that because they've got obviously a bigger idea of how they want the club to run so it needs to be somebody that fits in with that um so yeah not a surprise but neither are the other names on the shortlist you know this is manchester united one of the biggest clubs in the world or at least should be um by by the size of their turnover and all that and not necessarily matching the success on the field but they are a big organization and just in the same way you'd expect real madrid barcelona or anyone else to be to be going around looking for the best man for the job that's what they're doing and there's other names in the frame, of course, that we know about, like um, Pochettino um, and even Tuchel uh, among the favourites for this. Um, they've got to have more than one option because you can't just put all your eggs in the one basket and say, here you go, Mr Ten Hag. And he goes, I don't want it, actually. Quite like I quite like the life in Amsterdam, you know. And, uh, and who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? You know, Amsterdam or Manchester. I mean, they've both got sort of canals. Um, but you know there's there's pros and cons you might not want to move <laughs> well actually Pete Hall who's a regular on the Sunday podcast here on Football Social Daily he's a freelance journalist who's followed Manchester United for a number of years he tweeted something I thought was very interesting uh, this morning off the back of these reports and that's that Eric Tenag might well have been interviewing Manchester United as much of Manchester mm. United have been interviewing him which I thought was a very interesting take well this is it people always and it's the same with players and it goes for any sport, not just football. It's always like, oh, so-and-so wants this player, you know. Uh, Manchester United want Messi. Oh, wow. Right, does that mean that even if they stump up the cash that Messi's going to drop his life and move there because they said so? No. There's other stuff, you know. There's there's practical practicalities of life. Now, Manchester's a very well-connected city. It's very easy to get back to uh, the Netherlands or anywhere in Europe, really, from Manchester Airport. So th- these kind of things go in Manchester's favour in general. Um, it's not just the amount of money they're offering because these people are probably rich beyond our wildest dreams anyway. So cash really doesn't make a huge difference. It's the other things, the practicalities, the logistics, all come into it as well. And... You know, just saying a, a a a team want someone doesn't necessarily mean that person wants to wants the job. You know, I it's a story, right? Last week I was out. A friend of mine he he drives trains, um, and it was his birthday, and a guy was there, and this was midnight. It was absolutely trolled. This guy is in charge of um, all of the train drivers for a major train driving company, and he started interviewing me for a job to be a train driver, and he said. Why do you not want... He goes, I can tell you now you've failed the interview. I said, mate, it's midnight. I don't want to be a train driver. 
He goes, why would you not want to be a train driver? We are the best train driving train company in the whole of the UK. I said, because I don't want to be a train driver. Simple as that. You know, you can offer people stuff, but they don't necessarily want it. Now, that was a tangent, wasn't it? But, I mean, look at what else we've got to fill the rest of the show with. We're going to be talking about the England matches. I've got to say, I think my train anecdote is probably better. <laughs> well, I think you're right, though, in terms of... Eric Tenag, he's in a good position at Ajax. They'd be quite keen to keep him. I don't think United buying him out of his current contract, which runs until 2023, will be much of an issue. I think Manchester United will be able to do that. Whether it's him or Pochettino or Tuchel is, a, is another question. It feels like it's been, been between Tenag and Poch for what feels like ages, Matt. So who do you think has the edge and why do you think they have the edge out of the two if it was to be boiled down to those two names? Well, like you said, Pochettino's been linked with United for a number of years now. But we've seen when he's at a club like PSG, it's a lot of pressure and he seems to be floundering there a little bit now. And if he was to go to a club like Manchester United, would it be the same? I mean, he was at Tottenham, he went from Southampton to Tottenham, which is it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a step in the right direction of him personally. And he did well at both clubs respectively. But Manchester United is a completely different kettle of fish. There's so much more pressure there. There's so much more expectation there. And the thing is with Ten Hag, the way his football is, the way his philosophy is, the way he likes to bring you through, and the way he likes to dominate the ball. I mean, I was scrolling through Twitter this morning before I got the um, the show plan, and there's a mate of mine who I've done po- podcasts with in the uh, past called Pundit Jay. I don't know if you know him. He, he likes to speak a lot about Manchester-based football. And he was saying he's done a bit of studying on Ten Hag and he likes to boss the big games, like the Champions League games, the big derbies and stuff like that, like with the possession and the shots on goal. If he goes to Manchester United, the current squad that he's got there, he's not going to be able to do that because there's a few players in that that team that can't string two or three passes together. They're not known as a possession-based team, Manchester United. They play purely on the counter-attack and they play purely in moments. They rely on moments of individual brilliance from certain players in their side. So if if he goes there, he's got a major rebuilding job to do. He's got to basically rip out, you know, the deadwood and rebuild from the, the ground up. So if he's given the funds, which I should imagine he will be if he goes there, like what we were saying then about him interviewing Manchester United, he would have been saying, well, if I was to come to Manchester United, what would I be guaranteed in terms of um, my backroom staff, in terms of what I'd be able to spend on certain players uh, and stuff with the youth, etc., etc. So it all depends on whether it's sort of beneficial for him to go to Manchester United now in his career. He's two points clear in his um, Eredivisie at the moment. He's in a title race with PSV. He's already won two league titles already and he's done well in the Champions League for him. Got to semi-final in 2019 with that brilliant Ajax side, which I was very, very disappointed couldn't get to the final. I thought they deserved to get to the yeah, final. It was that obviously. famous game against po- Spurs, wasn't yeah, it? But yeah, but po- I was, was going to say, ironically, Pochettino knocked him out. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it swings and roundabouts in that respect. But I think if he does go to Manchester United, then it's going to take a couple of years to get his philosophy across and to build the right sort of squad. But it's a it's a big job. But maybe he's up for the challenge. Maybe he's done all he needs to do now. Because like I said, he's he's done what he's done in, in Holland. He's done what he's done over there. He's won him two league titles. Maybe it's time for him to seek pastures new, seek a new challenge. And what bigger challenge than Manchester United, one of the biggest clubs in world football that are very, very underachieving at the moment. The sixth in the Premier League. They're out of the Champions League. They're not going to win a trophy this season. If he was to come to Manchester United and bring the glory days back, you know what 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 more motivation do you want? In the next five years, he could have Manchester United fighting for titles again. So it's all, I think it's up to him. Obviously, United want him. Who wouldn't? 
Even City have been linked with him to replace Guardiola. Guardiola may sign a new contract, so it's up to Manchester United now whether they want him enough and whether he wants the job enough. Yeah, just a few personal thoughts on Ten Hag. I think that the cynics would suggest that he could come in and try and instill a philosophy, but then again, it's all about the structure behind the scenes and whether he'll have the ability to make the decisions that he wants to make. Secondly, the experience that he's got, it is different coming from the Netherlands to the Premier League. And it's such a cliche thing to say. And sometimes I think it's quite an ignorant thing to say that someone isn't experienced in the Premier League because managers have come in and proven that they don't need Premier League experience to be a success. I mean, Pep Guardiola is a prime example of that. Jurgen Klopp is a prime example of that. And even someone like Patrick Vieira, who played in the Premier League as a player, has managed to transition into management quite nicely with Crystal Palace. Will Eric Tenag be able to do the same? Who knows? I mean, there's question marks there. One positive, though, that he does have on his CV is that he's credited with bringing through young players. He's got a bit of a reputation, Ian, for bringing through these younger, talented players. That's something Manchester United have been famous for over the years. There's a remarkable statistic, which I was discussing with with some Manchester United fans the other day, and they didn't believe me until they checked it out themselves. 50% of all of Manchester United's first-team players in history have been academy graduates. That is a remarkable statistic and obviously something that they're very proud of over at Old Trafford. So Ten Hag's obviously ticking that box in terms of having the ability to bring young players through because there are a a lot of young players at Manchester United who need that platform to, to try and reach their potential and maybe they can be the ones to bring the club back to where they feel they should be. Yeah, I mean, and you look back over the years, as you say, and usually you can see it coming as well, can't you, with the the, the under-16s, under-18s, under-19s or whatever, winning their respective leagues and and, and titles coming through. And I think Manchester United are doing pretty good at the minute at that level. Um, As you say, I think sometimes, though, with these big clubs now in the Premier League, with that youth... Um, they don't really have the time to um, blood them in the way that they perhaps used to, you know, sort of stick them in and, and give them the chance to sink or swim, especially with Manchester United. You've got this pressure to immediately perform. And, you know, that can be quite a, a, a restrictive thing in that you're always looking to establish stars you know you're always looking to spend 100 million quid on a on a on a player or or what have you and that's always at the expense of a, of a younger kid who then it, it, it invariably gets sent out on loan and yeah players will get sent out on loan fair enough uh, but maybe not get that chance and we've seen players go under the radar and get missed out by clubs that have owned them um I mean, largely Chelsea are probably the, the guiltiest for it with some of the players they've let go, not least Kevin De Bruyne and, and, and players like that who didn't make it at that particular moment in time and then end up obviously somewhere else as, as world beaters worth 10 times the amount of, of what they were worth yeah. Mo before. Salah as well. <laughs> yeah, Mo Salah, another one. Uh, Patrick Bamford, I mean, you know, well. Um, so, you know, all these players have, have kind of get, get sort of out of the system because of the pressure to immediately succeed and you've got to sometimes fail and give them the chance and look back in the 90s you know and uh, that Manchester United um, team 
the the youth team that you know had Beckham and Skulls and Giggs and all players like that in it that not all of them made it at the top level but so many of them did and they went through together and probably a lot of the reason that Manchester United in that Fergie era were successful was because the nucleus of that team were all kids that have been together since the, you know they were ten or eleven and know each other well and 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 you still see that even now you know they're still kicking around together aren't they and owning football clubs these days it's just the only difference and so that friendship that camaraderie is something that you can't buy. And that's the thing about building a team. You know, you you can't just buy players in and, yeah, they might be skillful on paper and have good statistics, but you need humans to bond together. That's what Mm. makes the team as well. And I think that's what makes managing a football team a difficult task. Not only do you need to get the results, but also you need to be able to deal with certain individuals. And Manchester United have tried different approaches in terms of managers to do that. Mourinho, Van Gaal, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, all very, very different in the way they approach their man management style will that change with Eric Ten Hag we'll have to wait and see it's interesting to see where Manchester United do go with this who do you think is the best choice let us know on social media at the sports social send us a message on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook whatever it may be be great to hear your thoughts during this international break as we wind towards the end of the season and as I mentioned because the international fixtures are taking place we're going to talk about the England squad of which there have been some changes we'll talk about Gareth Southgate's alterations after this Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League show from Sport Social. My name's Niall McCorn. I've got Matt Pidd and Ian Brannan alongside me, and it is the international break. So The England squad has undergone some changing in the last couple of days. Out go Aaron Ramsdale, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Rhys James and Tammy Abraham. And in come Sam Johnston, Ollie Watkins, Tyrick Mitchell and Kyle Walker-Peters. You'll notice that Mitchell and Walker-Peters have been called up for, I think, the first time, certainly in Mitchell's case. But firstly, those names that have dropped out, Ramsdale, Alexander-Arnold, James and Abraham, they're all due to injury, according to the official line from the England national team. Whether that's true or not, we'll have to wait and see. And you can make up your own mind. I can hear Matt chuckling away in the background with some big Liverpool games coming up. I'm sure Trent Alexander-Arnold is being wrapped in cotton wool by Jurgen Klopp. Same for Arsenal's Aaron Ramsdale, who in all fairness didn't play in their last Premier League game. Um, I wanted to talk about Tammy Abraham, though, firstly. Matt, I know you're a, a fan of European football. And in Serie A, he's been absolutely outstanding this season under Jose Mourinho at Roma. Scored a couple of goals in the... Derby della Capitale, the Rome derby between Lazio and and Roma. Um, They ended up winning the game. It's a shame that he's not able to play because he's been absolutely flying this season. And it's brilliant to see someone who didn't really get the chance to show what he could do at Chelsea in the last year or so um, go to a different country, go to a different league and really perform well. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's got 15 goals in 29 games this season, which is better than you know goal every other game. So it's um, it's great stats from Sammy Abraham this season, and he's gone over there, diff- completely different culture, completely different way of playing football, and he's took the opportunity with ball fans and grasped it, and and it's great for him to see because, like I said, he's he's not had opportunities really in the Premier League. He's been at Chelsea, um, been at Villa, and it just never happened for him. But he's gone to Roma. 
and he's 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 absolutely smashing it there and it's it's great to see a young English lad go into um a different country, a different culture. It's like Jaden Sancho when he went to Dortmund, he went from City, went over to Dortmund and went and did absolutely brilliant over there, came back to the Premier League. He seems to be getting a little bit better now, Jaden Sancho, with the more games he's played and you know Tammy Abraham, is he going to stay? I thought it was harsh that he left Chelsea. To be honest, Matt, I don't know what you think. Yeah. I actually didn't think he was too bad at all. I thought thought he no, did very well. No, not at all. But I think this is this this thing at Chelsea where they've got to have this this striker in the squad like a Romelu Lukaku that costs like what ninety million quid. Mm. And I don't think that Chelsea are willing to put the sort of faith in that just yet. I don't know whether the next manager that comes in because I don't think Tuchel's going to last too much longer there with the situation that's going on. Maybe. It's it's going to be a culture change over at Chelsea soon, but look, he's made the right decision in his career. Tammy Abraham, he's he's seen it stagnating over in England, and some players are quite happy to sit over in England in the comfort zone, um, take a decent wage, and play as and when they're needed. But he knows his own ability; he's confident in his own ability, and it's proved to be paying dividends for him over there. He's gone over there and absolutely smashing it in the moment. Like you said, he scored two in the uh, Rome derby over the weekend. And you know when they score a goal over in Italy and the announcer repeats the name over and over and (laughs) over again. And they're all singing his name and they're all going, Abraham! Like, I can't imagine like what a better feeling that must be for him being over there at the moment. Good young English player being taken in with open arms by these Roma fans and they Mm. absolutely love him and they'll be gutted if they lose him. And I'm I'm gutted to not see him in the England squad. I really am. I think it would have been me too. A, it would have been a, a good sort of like um, test to see how far he's come. I mean, I know these international games don't mean anything in the grand scheme of things, but just to see where he's at on a bigger scale. Like international football is a completely different kettle of fish from league football. We know this, and they're playing against Switzerland and the Ivory Coast, who in their own rights are decent teams. <laughs> so it's um, it would it would have been interesting to see him, and it's it's a shame to not see him in the squad. But hopefully in the future, and maybe in the World Cup if he keeps on doing his brilliant farm for Roma, we could see him then. Yeah, I agree, because I think for the last 20 years in English football, we've been too insular. We've been too keen to keep the English players, the best English players inside the country and inside the Premier League. And yes, we always say that the Premier League is the best league in European football. It's the most competitive league, and that's where players want to play their football and ply their trade. But much like we saw in the 90s, there's nothing wrong with going over to a league like Serie A. I think I'd much rather be playing there regularly than playing in the under-23s or on loan in a, in a League One side. I think that's my personal opinion on it. Um, and so to see players like Abraham and Tamori, who's over at AC Milan, and Sancho yeah. and, and Reese Nelson as well, just another name that I can think of off the top of my head, that have gone over to German clubs or Italian clubs. In, Was it Hoffenheim, Reese Nelson? I think so, yeah. And I think, yeah. obviously, Adamola Luckman is, is on loan at Leicester. I know he's a Nigerian international now but he's you know a young British born player who Leipzig, you know, is, is on loan at Leicester from Leipzig so yeah there's definitely plenty of talent there which it, which is great to see but it is a shame about Tammy Abraham um, it's not a shame though for Palace's Tyrick Mitchell Ian who's been called up to the England squad for the very first time Southampton's Kyle Walker-Peters is also included after the uh, dropping out of Alexander Arnold and Rhys James due to injury do you think those two players are deserving of their call-ups to the three Lions? Um, well, and do you know what? I'm not 100% hot on the Crystal Palace um, side. I've got to be honest. But, um, you know, he's obviously made an impressive start. We, we've talked about Crystal Palace, how they've performed through the course of this season so far and maybe surprised a few people. And why not give people the chance? Um, all I would say, the thing, the thing I can't help but thinking with these friendlies is what's the point, though? 
uh, in that we're talking about a season where managers are moaning that everything's too busy and they want more time and blah, 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 blah. We've got the World Cup and there's no break and all this. In this year of all years, why are we bothering with friendlies other than for commercial purposes? You know, there's nothing to be gained in it. And we can see that players are being withdrawn all the time. And that's, that's, no, that's, that's a good opportunity for these young lads that are getting called in. But, you know, there's, there's, is it like a, I don't know, a, a, a hollow victory in a way? And so, you know, that you get into the side because so many players have been withdrawn and there's nothing really riding on it. It's not, it's not a meaningful match. Why are we bothering with, with England friendlies this season when everybody's complaining about it being too busy? But anyway, that's uh, by the by. But, it's, but well done to these lads for getting on the radar, though. And maybe it does get them um, in Gareth Southgate's thoughts if come later in the season because of course the World Cup's in a different position maybe some players might find themselves injured or, or out for whatever reason and and you need you need a backup plan and we're talking about the managers you need a backup plan the managers themselves need a backup plan and it's good to give these lads the experience it's not their first experience of playing in a massive stadium in the in the England shirt and and all that stuff they've, they've sort of done it before obviously it'd be different in a competitive one in a World Cup um, but yeah. uh, I, th- I think yeah, that's the key point Ian. That's it. I think that's the key point which is this March international break is traditionally the last one before a summer tournament mm. and the World Cup in 2022 is in December this year. So we'll have another couple of international breaks at least before Gareth Southgate chooses his final squad to go to the Middle East to compete in that tournament. So if the World Cup was in the summer, would we be seeing Tyrick Mitchell and Kyle Walker-Peters in the side or would he have been picking his best squad who he thinks he's going to provisionally take to the World Cup? So I guess my argument is, can we read too much into this current England squad with the World Cup around the corner? Because it could well be different to the side that he picks in the autumn internationals, for example. Yeah. And that's the start of a new season. You know, the players that are in form now, Tyrick Mitchell is having an excellent season, uh, you know, in a fullback position for Crystal Palace. Now, he might not be in form. He might start next season terribly and he might not be even in the squad. So it's hard to read too much into this current selection. It is, isn't it? Because, you know, so far away from the World Cup yet, you know, obviously more than six, seven, eight months yet to go. Long time to go before the final squad's going to be decided. And, and similarly, that Tyrick Mitchell, six months from now, might be like a world beater, you know, if he has a, yeah. a good next few months. And, and all, all of a sudden, all it takes is a couple of good games, isn't it, to get yourself on that radar. Yeah, um, especially with the English team, yeah. Well, you know, if, if you're sort of consistent, a few of them go down, that opportunity opens up. So it's, it's, it's there for him to take. And reading some of the background into him, you know, he's, he's well regarded within uh, within the teams he, he plays for. Um, uh, he's become the, that, you know, their first choice left back since Patrick Van Arnold left at, at, at Palace so obviously he's making his name there Patrick Vieira really likes him and um, and and it seems that quite a few people within the England setup quite like him as well you know he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good guy to have around liked by the backroom team but and significantly for him I think personally for him it is there is a little nice story to this in that he was born in Brent which is where Wembley is so for him to play at Wembley you know he's grown up in the shadow of Wembley Stadium there's all that story as well so that's a nice little thing I suppose too for uh, for him so I hope he does well I hope these you know you've got to take your, your opportunities when they come along so for for these guys it's not their it's not their problem uh, or their fault that you know how have they've got in the team if they get in the team and they get on the pitch for however long they get on the pitch whether it's from the start or later on um it's it's an england cap 
nobody can ever take that away from them. I know people who have played for England in friendlies actually thinking about it. Uh, and, you know, that those England Cups are as valuable as anybody else's. You know, to say that you've played for England, it's, it's, it's a big thing. Can't take it away from him. And as you say, make your name, make your name, make people sit up and take notice. We saw it with Calvin Phillips. A year or two ago, absolutely, and, yeah. and and Calvin Phillips is in there, and everybody's going, "Oh, what Calvin Phillips from Leeds? What what's he going to do? Oh, he's rubbish." And you know, he's he's now played, I think, as many games for England as any Leeds United player has in the last fifty years or something. Um, yeah, he's vital, and he had an outstanding Euros as well, didn't he? Exactly, and changed and, a lot of people's minds, and and he got in there probably through a friendly or or whatever, and and and, and had a at a start and, and took his chance so you're not going to get new England players if you don't put any new ones in and give them a chance yeah. but that and said and Tyrick Mitchell's only 22 years old yeah, and he did yeah. a really good job in the games against Manchester City this season in keeping Riyad Mahrez quiet which isn't an easy thing to do with the way Mahrez has been playing no, over he's... the last year or so so I think he's deserved the call up and as you say you know he's not going to care what people think he's just going to want to pull on that England shirt when he gets his chance and just do as best as he possibly can you know and for a 22 year old lad to potentially be going to a World Cup for England when a season ago no one knew who the hell you were I think that that is a, a brilliant achievement and something that he can be proud of and I totally agree with what you're saying about England caps and what it means to certain people I've always said that I feel like other countries and other continents relish their international um, stage more whereas I feel like in this country we tend to uh, relish the achievements domestically in the Premier League a little bit more than what we achieve for our international sides. Um, yeah. It's different for everyone, of course. Until it comes to the big tournaments, though, isn't it? It's like the big tournaments, we're all over that. But yeah, the, I know, the but England, England haven't won a big tournament, have they? It's been yeah, a long it's coming, time. It's coming home, isn't it? Every, yeah, it's every, been a yeah, long time, summer. you know. It's, yeah, it's coming home. Yeah, it's all of that stuff. But I mean, <laughs> we have Matt Jarvis on quite regularly on uh, The Dugout, which is our podcast featuring former Premier League professionals, which comes out on a Friday night. Matt played for England once. And he absolutely treasures that England cap. The fact that he was able to represent his country in an era where he watched some of the greats of the Premier League and the greats of English football, the likes of Rooney, the likes of Lampard, Gerrard, David Beckham, all of these people were in and around the England setup when Matt Jarvis was being talked about as a potential call-up. So to get a phone call from Fabio Capello or whoever it was and him to get in the England squad, he absolutely loves that moment. And, you know, he's got his shirt framed and he'll never forget that moment. Yeah. And absolutely stuff right. Stuff that dreams so. are made of. 100%. So I think it's brilliant stuff for Tyrick Mitchell and Kyle Walker-Peters. Um, whether you think they're deserving of the call-ups or not is kind of irrelevant, really, because that's who Gareth Southgate has gone with. Um, he's also omitted a couple of big names, Matt. No Sancho, no Rashford, both of Manchester United, of course. Uh, it's been reported that Southgate's actually planning a meeting with Marcus Rashford. Do you think that's good man management? Because he could easily have just ghosted him and not said anything. And we know that Rashford's not in great form at the moment. He hasn't scored a goal since January. So I think for me, this is personally probably a a good thing to do, to sit down with Rashford and say, listen, you're still only 23. You've got a massive future ahead of you. You know, you're just in a bad patch at the moment. This is why you're not in the team. Rather than if he just totally ignored him, that might send the wrong message. Exactly. And people forget just how young Marcus Rashford still is. I remember when he made his debut for United, I think it was against Mitchelland in Europa League. And then he played against Arsenal in the Premier League like the same week and scored two against them. And it just all like sort of stemmed from there. Talking about English players being hyped too early, too much pressure on them too soon. And I think what Marcus Rashford's experiencing at the moment is a little bit of burnout and that's completely natural for a, for a lad that's come in at his age and had so much pressure on his shoulders and done so well for you know the games that he's played. 
You can't expect the kid to do well. And that's, I'm saying this now, he's a kid. He's still a kid. He's 23 years old. He's not quite at that age yet where you can start saying, like a Jesse Lingard, where you can say he's, he's at his peak now. He's still got his best years ahead of him, Marcus Rashford, and he's got bags of talent. I just think at the moment things have just got on top of him a little bit too much. He's a lot of pressure at United at the moment. A lot of players under the microscope at United at the moment. They're having a bad season for them personally. So he needs this conversation, I think, with Gareth Southgate. Because like you said, it would it could have been worse. Gareth Southgate just could have ghosted him completely, not said anything. And we all know what people say, like, silence speaks volumes. And Marcus Rashford would have had all these thoughts in his head going, is he, is he ever going to pick me again? Am I completely out of the setup now? No, you're not. Maybe you just need an arm around you and get told, look, Marcus, you're still in the, you're still in my, my plans, you're still in my thoughts. I just think you need this little bit of a break at the moment. And, yeah, it's good man management. We all know what Gareth Southgate's like. The players love him. The fans love him. And this was what we were discussing before about man management styles. Like, we were discussing, like, uh, managers like Mourinho, like Van Hal, who aren't traditionally known to be great man managers. And this is what Southgate is good at. He, he knows his players. He likes to, to get them to know them on a personal level. We've seen it with um, the work that Marcus Rashford's done um, away from football, how good of a human being is how fantastic of a human being he is. I think he just needs to be treated with a little bit more respect from people because people are slagging him off left, right and centre at the moment. And it's not fair. I think he's just had a little bit too much too soon and he's just suffering the consequences of that. He's a victim of his own success in a way because he's done well so early. So I think what Gareth Southgate's doing is absolutely fantastic. And as I'm a Man City Every fan. Every player has yeah. bad form, yeah, Matt. Exactly. I mean, you, say, you were just about to say you're a Man City fan, yeah. so you'll know exactly what Raheem Sterling was suffering with about a year or so ago before the Euros. Mm. And, you know, he was allegedly having a, a poor season. Rashford is the same, not having a great season for Manchester United. I think everyone can see that. But things were levelled at Sterling similarly before the Euros. And yet he went to that tournament. It was arguably our best player. You know, and he turned up at Wembley every yeah. single week and was, was banging in goals and he looked up for it and he looked like a different animal. And so, you know... It's not like Rashford isn't going to go to the World Cup. There's still plenty of time for him to rediscover some form. Exactly. I remember because it was the uh, Champions League final where Sterling got picked ahead of Rodri and everyone was going ballistic. All City fans were going ballistic. And Sterling would have seen that. And this was going into a major tournament, into, into the Euros. And that would have been in the back of his mind. But sometimes these players, when they get back against the wall, when it seems nothing seems to be going right for them, and they seem to turn it in, into determination and like on the pitch... And that's what Sterling did in the Euros. And maybe this is what's going to happen for Rashford into this this World Cup. Because I have no doubt in my mind he'll be part of that England squad. I have no doubt in my mind that he will come back for Manchester United. And he will prove that he is the player that he has proven to be so far. It's just a dip in form. It's completely natural. People forget that footballers are human beings. We all have a bad day at work or a bad week at work and so on and so forth. It's no different for these players. People forget they're under the microscope constantly. They can't play well every single week. And the morale in the squad at the moment at Manchester United will not help. Because like you said at the beginning of the podcast, there's a dark cloud over Old Trafford at the moment. Players like Paul Pogba are coming out and talking about being depressed and stuff like that. And it's good for these players to come out and talk about the mental state at the moment because like, it's a lot of pressure. You must go on social media and see what all these people are saying about you. And it must get to you. Because th- footballers can be thick-skinned, but come on, man. If you're on social media and you're seeing all these people saying all these bad things about you, it's got to hurt. It's got to hurt. And this is where people need to remember about footballers just being human beings first before being a footballer. Marcus Rashford's situation at the moment with Gareth Southgate. Hopefully Gareth Southgate can put his arm around him and tell him, you know, you could have still been my plan, son. You know, we're going to we're gonna get through this as a team. 
and you're going to be all right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's plenty of path left to tread between now and the World Cup in Qatar in December. So no Sancho, no Rashford in the side. No Ramsdale, Alexander-Arnold, Reese james or Tammy Abraham due to injury. So income Johnston, Watkins, Mitchell and Walker-Peters, I'm sure, throughout the course of the next week or so, will bring you up to date with any changes when it comes to that England squad and indeed how they get on in those friendlies against Switzerland and the Ivory Coast. But that's it for England as far as we're concerned. And next, we're going to focus on the promotion race in the Championship, the second tier. Who's going to be playing Premier League football next season? We'll make our choices after this. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Welcome back to the podcast. Good to have you with us. Don't forget if you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode of the show again. Brand new podcasts every single day of the season. No other show will do that for you, focusing on Premier League action. And I say focusing on Premier League action. Technically, we're not going to do that for the next 10 or so minutes. We're actually going to focus on the championship because despite the fact that the Premier League relegation picture is yet to be sorted, it's absolutely bustling at the top end of the championship. So who are the three sides we could see playing Premier League football next season, making the jump up from Division 2 to the first tier? Obviously, first and second place in the championship are automatic promotion spots. They're currently occupied by Fulham and Bournemouth. The remaining three, four, five and six places go into a playoff. And that's where it gets interesting because in order, third place, you've got Luton. Then below them, Huddersfield, Sheffield United, Blackburn. And then out of the playoffs, Middlesbrough, Queen's Park Rangers and Nottingham Forest. So here's your chance, Ian. You get to pick your three teams that you'd like to see promoted to the Premier League next season. Obviously, it looks like Fulham and Bournemouth are going to do it. But if you were just to pick three that you want to see, who would you go for out of that group? Well, three I want to see. Uh, I don't obviously. I don't think only these three will, but I, I would say Huddersfield, Sheffield United, and Borough. Um, big up the north. I think the three great sides Huddersfield have had uh, um, have, have had a bit of experience in in the Premier League before. Um, they've now got um, former. Um, the, the, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but then the, the Huddersfield manager was Marcelo Bielsa's number two at Leeds. And so there's a bit of a Leeds sort of connection with Huddersfield. It's not. It's not a. The, the relationship between Huddersfield and Leeds is different from, say, in many local clubs. There is a massive rivalry for them in the same league, but if they're in different leagues, it, you sort of kind of want them to do all right. It's. Uh, I've got a bit of a soft spot for Huddersfield. I've got to say. Um, so I'd like Huddersfield to go up. Sheffield United again. You know, you need a club. I think Sheffield needs a club in in the Premier League. Got two big clubs there. Wednesday, what the heck's going on there? Um, but Sheffield United, you know, it'd be great to have them both in the Premier League because Sheffield's such a big city that it needs top-level football and will bring absolute chaos once again. You know, the atmosphere that they bring, it'd be brilliant uh, to have Sheffield United. Greasy chip butty. Greasy chip butty. Yeah. It's where football was invented as well. Like a garland yeah. of magnets. Yeah, the first ever football club uh, was Sheffield FC. Yeah, and still yeah, going strong. Yeah. Still going strong as, as well, I think. And, uh, they are, they are. And Borough... And Borough, because we need Chris Wilder back in the Premier League. Come on. Love Chris Wilder. Brilliant stuff. What about you, Matt? Because Ian's got his uh, northern preferences, but 
Um, Luton Town, third. I mean, what a remarkable rise that would be to see a team like Luton in the Premier League. They're in the playoffs, obviously Fulham and Bournemouth, the the other southern sides there. But Nottingham Forest doing so well in the FA Cup. They won a, a few fans. And Blackburn, when we were growing up, they were a big side in the Premier League. And they've been down there for a while. So who are your three choices if you were to pick three now to go up uh, as your choices rather than who you actually think will? Who will you go for? Well, it's funny you should mention Luton first because they was going to be my first pick. Number one, because Kenilworth Road, absolutely legendary football ground. Yes, I'm going to talk about the terraced houses in the away end because what, what an absolute <laughs> fact. To go to a Premier League football ground and have to go through someone's terraced house to go and get through in away end, that's absolutely fantastic. And Brilliant. it could be a reality next season if everything goes well for, for Luton Town. And number two, because a couple of years ago, I was DJing at a village hotel in Bury. Yes, I used to DJ Christmas parties once upon a time. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and Luton were playing Bury the uh, the day after, and he was staying at the village hotel in Bury there. And I remember them coming down in their um, like sort of blue and orange tracksuits, Carbrini tracksuits. And I didn't know at the time, but I was chatting to Nathan Jones, obviously their manager. And I remember him coming over, and I think he requested a Queen song. I can't remember what Queen song it was, but I, I remember saying, <laughs> "No one bites the dust." <laughs> maybe, and I, remember, and I remember saying to him, "I hope you do bury tomorrow." And he was like, "Why?" I said, "Well, Gary Neville's from Bury, and I hate United, <laughs> so I, I, I hope you do them tomorrow." And I, I like I like Luton Town as a football club anyway. And he was a really nice fella, so that's my first reason why for Luton Town. My second club, Blackburn Rovers, great away day. Great away day, and they're a legendary Premier League football club, and it'd be nice to see them back in the um, in the Premier League there. And my third pick, oh, it's a toss up between Bor and Forest, but because um, Ian's already picked Bor, I'm going to go for Forest. Won two European Cups. Um, remember, was it Ron Atkinson with that legendary Premier League moment when he sat on the Arsenal bench? instead of his own bench <laughs> and everyone was all looking like all sort right. of dumbfounded at him <laughs> and, he, and he played it off so well so I think it's nice to have these these kind of clubs back in the Premier League sort of like the OG Premier League teams like Blackburn like Nottingham Forest so yeah they're my three picks Blackburn former Premier League champions of course in 1995 those heady days over at Ewood Park so that's who the guys want to get promoted now it's the well, I would say the easy bit, picking who you think will. At the moment, leading the way, as I say, Fulham and Bournemouth, the top two, they're automatic promotion contenders. It looks pretty likely that it is going to be those two who go up uh, straight away back to the, the Premier League, two sides who have only been away from the top flight for a short while. So I think, I guess, you'll be going for those, Ian, for your automatic promotion spots. And then it's a real toss-up between any of the rest of those sides in the playoffs. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, the playoffs... Um in the championship are absolute chaos. And even though that, you know, uh, that Bournemouth have, uh, are on 69 points and um, they've got a game or so in hand on, on, on Fulham and, you know, Fulham, Fulham look like they're almost home and hosed, you know, by Easter, I think after Easter, they, they're going to take some catching. Um, for Bournemouth, you know, we have seen it multiple times. Leeds have done it. Sheffield United have done it. Where you know you just absolutely capitulate at the last moment. You know it's not beyond the realm. So whilst they look fairly solid in the Championship, anything can happen. And all of a sudden, a team that's been unbeatable all season, West Brom, the year that Leeds went up, you know, unbeatable all season from Easter to the end of May, just could not buy a win. You know, and there was no rhyme or reason to it. Nothing had changed. The wheels just fell off. So that can happen. Um, let's assume it's not going to. 
because I think Fulham and Bournemouth, you know, they've been here before. I don't think they're going yeah. to choke. So the, let's ga- see the gap between second and third, so Bournemouth in second and Luton in third, is currently six points and they've got two games in hand. Some yeah. teams they have three games in hand on. So I know we don't want to give them the points because they still have to win those games, no. but it's looking favourable for Bournemouth. You'd think so, but you just never know. You just never know. You could. I, I would not bet against Luton going on a run and getting that second spot. It's, it happens year after year in the Championship. Year after year. So let's not count Bournemouth quite home and host just yet. Fulham, they've got more points in the bag. I think that they're going to do well to throw it away now. From the rest of them, though, um, the, the playoffs, it's, what is it, third v fifth and fourth v sixth? Um, depends where you finish, doesn't it? But I, I think, do you know what? I, I keep looking back at Huddersfield. I just think Huddersfield have been on incredible form um, lately, since Christmas, certainly. They've really got it together. I did see, a, I can't remember what the stat is, but the stat was that, you know, Huddersfield have, have you know, bagged more points, I think, so far this calendar year than, than anybody else. Um, they are certainly, even though the, the, the table doesn't show it, they are certainly the form side at the moment. And, um, you know, I could see Huddersfield doing it. I can see Huddersfield doing it, um, which will be tremendous. Yeah, some real historic clubs. Huddersfield are not uh, a side who are thought of in the modern era as a, as a big hitter, but their history is remarkable. They've got so mm. much to cheer about when it comes to years gone by, particularly in the early sort of iterations of the Football League. I think they're right in thinking they were one of the founder members of English football. So um, they've certainly got pl- plenty of history and plenty of titles as well. Huddersfield, a, a great traditional club. Sheffield United, the same. Blackburn, the same, as we mentioned. Middlesbrough, QPR, Nottingham Forest... Luton, they're the other teams. I mean, you're talking about teams in form and going on a run, Ian. Nottingham Forest look good. They've got as many as three games in hand over the sides above them. Currently back in ninth and two points away, three points away, I should say, from those uh, playoff places. But with that FA Cup run, I think that they can they can feel quite comfortable. They've got a, a healthy goal difference as well. So if Ian's going for Huddersfield, are you going to stick by your original suggestion of Luton Town to go up along with Fulham and Bournemouth? Or do you fancy a twist, Matt? No, I'm going to stick with Luton. I'm going to stick. With, I'm going to stick with Luton Town. I just think that the the job that Nathan Jones has done there, he's 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 done so well, took them up from from League One up to the the Championship, and he's got them in a position now where they're one of the top dogs in the Championship. And going to Kenilworth Road in, in and and trying to get points is is incredibly difficult at the moment. I mean, we've seen them against Chelsea in the FA Cup. Yes, Chelsea ultimately won the tie, but they had them on the ropes for for quite a while. They're Luton Town, and I just, I just think they've just got something different about them, Luton Town, to the other teams. I just, I just think they've just got this, this little bit of something special about them. I, I can't quite put my finger on it. I don't know whether it's, it's just because of um, my sort of like praise of them before what I was talking <laughs> about, but no, I, ju- I just think Nathan Jones can get the job done. I've, obviously, we're talking about the teams that are in there at the moment, um, from Nottingham Forest um, up to Luton. There's a lot of football still to be played, but if I was a betting man, I'd bet on Luton right now to to get the uh, the third place. Nathan Jones, of course, left Luton to go to Stoke City a couple of years ago. Didn't work out. Stoke 15th, Luton Town 3rd, and he's back there now as their manager. So that's who we think might get promoted from the Championship this season. By the time two or three weeks roll around after the international break and we're into early May, the table might look totally different again. And as Ian says, we might have someone bizarre surging up the table to get into the playoffs. But those are some early predictions from us. If you've got any thoughts, then get in touch with us on our Twitter page. It's at The Sports Social. That's it from us today, though. Thank you very much, Ian and Matt. I'll let you go and enjoy the sunshine or the the fog where you are, Ian, by the sounds of it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, good bit of... It's, it's all right now, sunny. 
Sonny, I'm not, I don't know if the uh, next door neighbour's still got his chainsaw out. <laughs> well, as Ian goes to get his limbs cut off, yeah. we'll leave it there. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.